You stole fizzy lifting drinks. You bumped into the ceiling, which now has to be washed and sterilized, so you get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. Drop it. Duncan and both come correct. Ladies and gentlemen, it is the most wonderful time of the year. It is time for Duncan and Bo Come Incorrect. Uh, in this episode, unlike the other episodes where we recommend to each other uh, movies that are important to us, uh, are significant to us, we think are great movies based on a theme. This time around, though, the only theme is these movies are terrible. But they are terrible in a way that almost defy explanation and and require us to give them a second look and really mine the entertainment value out of them. Uh, I I feel like today you're being treated to two wonderfully terrible movies. Um, and I will say in advance, in only one of these movies, do you go to the rodeo twice? Uh, which I think is kind of an automatic win, but we'll get to that. Uh, with me, as always, is Don... <laughs> oh, God. I can't believe I, I was... All right, all right. With me, as always... Duncan, Duncan, <laughs> shit! I can't get it out. With you me as always, said, you've got to keep all that said. That's incorrect. I know, D- Duncan Joe Samurai Cop McLeish, because there is no more samurai name in the world than Joe. Oh my god! Like I, I thought at first you were calling me Don Corleone or something like that. It was like, it was like yeah. Don, and I was like, have I have I been promoted? Is this is this how Bo sees me, head of the Costa Nostra <laughs> in I do, Scotland? Yeah. I mean, in fairness, I do. Uh, That's okay, then. It's it's accurate. accurate. (laughs) I'm a a simple podcaster, blessed with many friends. (laughs) Yeah. I hope your first child is a masculine child. (laughs) Uh. (laughs) I think this is going to sum up the entire show. Yeah, I feel like uh, if you're the Don, I want to be your, like, Luca Bozzi. (laughs) Done. Let's let's, let's ratify that right now. All right. Which means that I end up getting choked to death in a bar, and you have a heart attack in a garden. Which, uh, to be honest with you, if I had some sort of fortune-telling machine, I think that's how we're going to go. It's probably accurate, yeah. If you've ever seen the end of Six Feet Under, where, where the girl starts... Yeah. ...seeing everyone die, how, they, how their deaths are, if we were in that show, that's how we'd go. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's just a matter of time. It, it's not a question of, of how, but of when. And if that scene happened, I would want the Benny Hill music playing over the top. <laughs> to Jackie Sacks as you clutch your chest in the garden. <laughs> okay. yeah, when, when I finally have my heart attack and die, I'm fairly sure that when everyone else have their life, their life flashing before their eyes, all I'm going to hear is... No, 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 that's me, no. You know, after a repeat viewing, I think the last words out of my mouth uh, are going to be, the trooper's going to get you. The trooper, what a fucking... We're going to get into that. Yeah. Horrible, mate. Horrible, mate. At first I thought, like, there's a bit in that where... The woman says they named their horse Peanuts, and I swear to God, I thought she said they named their horse Penis, and I was like, "That's it's <laughs> fucking," but not the most ridiculous thing in the movie either. So no, there we go. not by a long shot. Uh, 
Yeah, we'll oh, we'll get into that. Oh, that movie is so good. Um, as as was yours, so this is going to be exciting. But before we get into uh, the terrible movies that we have selected for one another, both of which are undeniably terrible, uh, in in a pretty wonderful way. Like both of these movies, like uh, this is a great double feature. Uh, yeah. if, if you have a, a Saturday night where you're drinking alone. And you're like, I need something to keep me company so that I don't use the pistol that I've got loaded. <laughs> then you throw on Bloodshack and Samurai Cop, our two films for today, and <laughs> it's going to turn you right around. Oh my god. I, yeah, I, like, I like this dark scenario we've created all of a sudden. Well, why does that surprise anyone? This whole season has been dark. Um, and yes. I, I'm just glad that even when we're trying to inject some levity in at the end, we still go dark with it. That's that's pretty awesome. Um, right. It still becomes a drunken suicide attempt. Uh, <laughs> I mean, because basically this episode, I, what I like to see Duncan and Bo come incorrect purpose being is it's basically penance. This is your penance for having 24 fantastic movies to check out in this season. And at the end, you need to... You basically need to whip yourself, and, and, and with an audience, you know that's optional. But you basically have to whip yourself, and during the flogging, you basically need to atone for the sins of these great movies by watching two awful movies. And I think we have, whilst neither one of these are a winter beast in level, I think they're pretty fucking amazing. So I, I, yeah, I, yeah, I think I think we've, I think like. Yeah, I, I think it's fun to see how highbrow the show has been this season and then remember that this is the last episode you'll hear for a couple of months. Right, you know, like, let's remember there was an episode where we talked about Coppola's The Conversation. Yeah. And now we will talk about The Trooper and Joe the Samurai Cop. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, Coppola's Conversation along beside Steckler's Trooper. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Steckler's Trooper is also a great title of the uh, tell-all book I'm going to do about <laughs> the making of Bloodshot, because I, I, I feel like a director's commentary for this movie would be the greatest thing you ever heard. Yeah, yeah. They, they did die, didn't they? Did they? Un- yeah, unfortunately so, yeah. Uh, yeah, which, which is a shame, because I, I get the feeling... I get the feeling, Bo. But neither one of these directors are still alive from either one of these movies. Um, we might have to, to, to bring up the... We might have to take up the reins here and actually do that for him. Because I, I was so bizarrely misled by jumping at IMDb and seeing the DVD artwork for this movie and realising it holds not a... There's nothing in here at all which is remotely related to the movie, which is kind of awesome. I like covers that are like that. A, a lot of the video nasties I did. So actually, this movie, and we'll get we'll get into. It, I feel like I'm jumping the gun here. Um, this movie reminds me very much so of a couple of the video nasties I had to cover when doing doing the nasty, um, and I'm very surprised that this one didn't meet the list um, at all. <laughs> this one to me is about the same quality and around the same time frame as a lot of the ones that were banned. So. Yeah, I think we but missed out on an opportunity. What would you ban it for? Not doing a second take? <laughs> I'm telling you, there are movies that are are more poorly constructed, acted, and shot than this movie. And the nasty list. Yeah, and but... About <sighs> yeah. I'm, I'm telling you, in terms of shock sequences, less shocking than this. So, it just, it, it caught me, it caught me by surprise. Um... 
Although I don't know why. The movie's called Bloodshack. <laughs> I mean, that shouldn't very much. I couldn't get, like, Love Shack out of my head watching oh, this entire movie. Of course not. The whole time you're just like, Bloodshack, baby, Bloodshack. <laughs> I got me a shack. It's as bloody as a whale. Yes. <laughs> it's, of course. Um, Naturally, Duncan. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> what are you, stupid? Um... <laughs> But before we get into that, because it, it, it feels already like we have much to say about both of these films, uh, mm-hmm. rightfully so. They deserve our, our, our respect and our inspection. Um, <laughs> kind of. And <laughs> that was a bit, that was a, a bit too keen there, but <laughs> yeah, pull back. Pull back. <laughs> yeah, I, I slipped into my William Buckley again, you know. <laughs> we will, we'll be talking about the, uh, ramifications of, uh, Samurai Cop. I mean, I can't see your face just now, but I know your eyebrows are going for it. Going crazy. It's like <laughs> a couple of caterpillars with epilepsy. <laughs> Trigger warning for those with epileptic caterpillars. <laughs> I'm trying to keep the audience safe. This is a safe place for them. Uh, this is the safe place. <laughs> speaking of safe places, uh, before we get into uh, cinematic disasters... Um, Duncan, what have you been watching, both good and bad? And, of course, Bloodshack and Samurai Cop do not count um, <laughs> on either side of that scale, because you could make an argument for both. Um, but what have, what have you been watching that's been uh, firing your imagination and or disappointing you since last we spoke? Ah, right. So let, let, let me kick off with the one that I really liked. And there are a few on this list, because I've been going back over... Some older films, still in prep for the the Cronenberg Roundtable that's coming up on the podcast under the stairs very soon. But I was also um, just going over some kind of older films recently for some guest appearances I've done. Um, Myself and I know yourself have both recently guested on the Hail Ming Power Hour. And I got the opportunity to chat about Highlander, which is a movie that... uh, I love deeply. Um, And also a movie called Outland, which I think... People, I know people have seen it, but I know a lot of people that haven't seen it, and I don't know why, and I don't know why people don't go back to that movie as much, or talk about it as much, because I think it genuinely is a really good movie. But um, I was away last weekend uh, for, for a small vacation, and uh, took some movies to check it while I was away, and the one that I want to talk about is one that seems to be polarising um, and I like movies like that, especially if I like the movie and people don't. Um, and it is uh, a movie called Darling. It's a horror movie directed by Mickey Keaton. And um, it stars uh, Laura Ashley Carter and Larry Fezzedin. Um It's all shot in black and white, so instantly it has my, has my interest peaked. But it's a really interesting exercise in minimalist horror. Um, so basically we have this this uh, kind of woman character who moves into this um, kind of New York apartment block sort of thing. Uh, although she kind of really only has this really small kind of bedsit room. And whilst there through different chapters in the movie, it's a very short movie as well. I don't even think it's like an hour and it's maybe an hour and ten long um, through these different chapters chapters of the movie we start to realise that she comes from a bit of a troubled past and her character's kind of going off the rails, her psyche's slowly starting to, to kind of um, derail so to speak and 
there isn't anything overtly kind of played for horror. It's just really well acted and really well edited. Um, and it's a movie that I think cost pennies. I don't think it was a, a, an expensive movie at all to make. But I found myself really captivated by it. Like, genuinely kind of... Like, really, really in, engaged on every angle with it. It's, it's strange because there's not a lot of dialogue. Um, we don't really get that much of a character study on any of the characters. And the story's very minimalist. We just kind of live through these, like I say, these different chapters... But I couldn't take my eyes off the screen. I thought it was shot beautifully. I think some of the, the New York skyline shots um, in black and white are absolutely stunning. Um, and there's a disconnect on when the movie is actually taking place as well. Um, certainly from like the skyline shots and stuff like that, it's it's um, post 9-11. But the movie itself feels like it could have been shot in maybe the 40s or 50s in terms of the way some of the characters dress, some of their interactions, the way some characters speak. Um, I thought it was I thought it was really, really, really good. And certainly for people that are looking for something a bit different in the world of horror, something that's not relying on jump scares, something that um, doesn't run three hours long, <laughs> um, or kind of tries to move away from kind of the cliched tropes that a lot of modern horror movies fall into. And I mean, that's that's always been the case with horror. We always kind of, whatever's popular, there's a lot of movies doing whatever's popular. This one seems to be swimming against the tide again uh, uh, in the way it's constructed and, and filmed. And I just found it infinitely fascinating. It has an art house aesthetic, which instantly, you know, if anyone was going to see this movie, in fact, since seeing it, a couple of people have said, when I watched this movie, I thought Duncan would love this. And... Um, yeah, I, I highly recommend that you, you go and check it out if you've not if you've not heard of it. Um, I think it's up on VOD now, so it's worth checking out just to see something a bit different. And like I say, it's only it's just over an hour long, so highly recommend Darling uh, from twenty fifteen. So yeah, it, it sounds a, almost a little like Repulsion. It's funny you should mention that. I was kind of thinking the same. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 I love Repulsion, it, yeah. Yeah, when I was watching it, there were there were certain things that were very much akin to it. It's, it's weird. It kind of has the pacing of a slow-burn movie, but shot in a shorter time frame. It's, it's weird. I, I'd be interested to get your take on it. I don't think it's phenomenal. I don't think it's great. It's certainly not in the, the top list of the movies that I've seen this year. But as something which costs very little and really relies on a kind of minuscule cast... I think it's, it's surprisingly well done um, and very much worth people's time checking out. thought it was really, really, really good. Um, right. Let me throw my bad in here. Now, this was not all bad. All right. But there was one part of this which was awful. And I kind of feel myself... I should have known better. I watched an anthology called Holidays. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've, and there's been kind of a glut of anthology horror films of late. Uh Southbound, I don't know if I'm in, yeah, yeah, Southbound's pretty good. I quite liked that, actually. I thought there was a good mix in Southbound of, I liked the the fact that the stories all flowed into each other as well, which was pretty cool. Um, Holidays is this idea, coming off the back of things like Tales uh, Tales of Halloween and a Christmas horror story, is this idea of trying to make an anthology which covers every big sort of holiday that we have. 
Although some of them are shoehorned in, like Mother's Day and Father's Day are not holidays, they're just days. But, um... Oh, can... Duncan. Well, yeah, speaking as a father, that's how I look at them. Um, so, oh, uh, yeah, so it's it covers things like New Year, St. Patrick's Day, um was very surprised Independence Day wasn't in it. That one, to me, seemed like an obvious one for an American movie, but, I, you know, it's not mentioned. But there's Father's Day, Mother's Day, um, Christmas, Easter, and I think that's them all. And some of them are excellent. I mean, like, incredible shorts. There's one that covers kind of the St. Patrick's Day one covers kind of pagan devil worship um, based around the idea of St. Patrick. Which I thought was <clears throat> excellent. I thought it was incredible. Um, there was some that had like a kind of wry sense of humour. Uh, but it's the Halloween one that I want to talk about. The Halloween one was helmed by a, a certain director called Kevin Smith. I'm familiar with his work and have enjoyed much of it. Yes, I am the same. I have not joined, uh, enjoyed as much recently. As you will remember, I despise Tusk. I thought Tusk was a fucking awful, awful movie. Um... I wasn't a big fan of Red State. I hated Cop Out. Um, I didn't really like Clicks 2 either. Clicks 2, there was a couple of funny moments in it, but it just kind of felt like, it kind of felt like an anti-Clerks movie. It seemed like a lot of money had been thrown at that movie, which is not in the the, the spirit of the original. Um, and he's got a new movie coming out called Yoga Hosers, which is kind of this trilogy he's doing of Canadian horror movies or something i don't know <laughs> yeah the, it it is this bizarre idea of doing a a like, like you said a trilogy of horror films set in canada the yeah. last of which is called moose jaws yeah which, which is just jaws with a moose yeah but <laughs> i know i know on a certain level that instantly appeals to you both it really does yeah having seen having seen tusk and realizing how bad that movie is it's not a good movie. It really, really isn't a good movie. It's shot well, but that's about it. Um, yeah, it, I would agree. Tusk is not a great movie. And then having seen the trailer for Yoga Hosers, which looks like an extension of the Tusk joke. Um, and then having, I kind of thought, it's a short. It's Halloween. It's Kevin Smith. Uh, let's, let's see how we get on. And it's fucking awful. Awful. And it ruins the. Uh, to me, it ruins holidays uh, as a as an anthology series because the ones that come after it, I feel, had I seen them not coming off the back of Kevin Smith's one, I would have probably enjoyed them more than I did, and it kind of soured my opinion of the ones that came before. And obviously, he's the biggest name attached to the project, so I'm assuming the filmmakers or studio. Gave him green light to do whatever he wanted. And it stars his daughter and Johnny Depp's daughter, who are both in Tusk and both the leads in Yoga Hosers. Um, and the dude that does epic mealtime, Harley, what's his face? Can't remember. The YouTube channel, Epic Mealtime. He's a kind of ca- Canadian comedian now. Um, he's the he's the main character in it. And it's shit. It's so what's fucking... the premise? What, what What's the, the story being told here? Right, the premise is that it's set on Halloween, and that's it. Right, so that's no more references to Halloween at all from this point. So basically, you see some masks in a shop, and then that's all we get of Halloween. And this Harley dude runs an online uh, webcam sex website. 
And what he does is he dupes girls to come out and he just gets them to perform on, on this camera. They all live in one big house and he is not very nice. He's not very nice to them. Um, it does. I don't see him... Like, his character doesn't doesn't interact well with them, but I don't necessarily think that he's physically abusing them, but he's certainly mentally abusing them, you know, referring to them as whores constantly. So what they do is they hit him when he looks like he might want to rape one of them. They hit him um, and then they super glue a vibrator up his bum, which is attached to a cable which leads to a car battery, I think, and then put him on the webcam and then basically torture him. And it's fucking awful. It's, it's actually awful. The acting is terrible. It's shot, I'm assuming, for... I don't know why it's Halloween for a start, because it could be set anywhere. You're given, arguably, in a horror anthology, you've been given Halloween. You've basically been given the golden ticket. You can do fucking anything you want. as long You can make this as crazy and out there. And you went for... I, I, it's, I think he's trying to be funny. And Kevin Smith's early stuff is very funny to me. Like, right up to Dogma, I thought that guy was just, like, a, a comedic genius. But it's not funny. Um, I don't... I, I'm assuming he's trying to make a point. I don't know if he is. Um, it's poorly acted. Poorly fucking shot. I know it's trying to be gritty, but it fails in that. It's an awful fucking shot. It's, like, really... Like, I can't... I can't stress this enough. Kevin Smith can go and fuck himself. Like, really, really, I, I passed, I, I shouldn't have watched it, because after Tusk had said that all goodwill towards that man was gone, um, and he's managed to, I don't know how he's, I, they should have given Halloween to one of the other guys, and just not had him on this. It's really, really, really bad, but I can't stress it enough. If, if you get the opportunity to check it out, you will come back <laughs> Yeah, watch this movie that I didn't like. Um, well, I know you do when I say these things. Um, it's just, yeah. it, it seems like it's a vehicle for him to get his daughter in front of a camera. And that's what I'm thinking now, is any excuse to get his daughter and Johnny Depp's daughter in front of a camera now, that seems to be Kevin Smith's mission. And neither one of them are good actresses. Like, they're really, really, really not good actresses. <clears throat> and I kind of feel a bit, Annoyed by that because Kevin Smith's the sort of guy in the past that was really good at bringing in actors and actresses. He's almost kind of on a Tarantino sort of level of bringing people in into interesting roles which you wouldn't necessarily attribute them to, and then making them play into like for example, you see Alan Alan Rickman as a as the Herald and. Um, Dogma, great fucking role. You wouldn't have expected him in that. The work with Ben Affleck, um, you wouldn't have seen that before. He, you know, he's, he, he has done things in the past that have been really quite clever in changing actors' kind of stereotypes, the, the kind of pigeonholed performances, and giving them something else to do. And he now seems to have that purely focused on promoting his daughter, which, right, he's a dad. I can, maybe she wants to be an sure, actress. Sure, sure, yeah. And all the rest, but I, I think I, I genuinely think he's done so much like dope by now that his ability, his judgment is gone. I, I genuinely don't think Kevin Smith knows the difference between good and bad now. 
Oi, and I think in the past, I, I think in the past he wouldn't have cared necessarily what other people's judgments would have been, but there would at least been an integrity in what he was doing that you know he could stand against the convictions of him making a movie. I don't think he even has that now. I think that I think that ship has long since sailed. Um, and this is just on a, his movie. Still, still seem to be getting greenlit. Yoga Hosers will get greenlit. Jaws Moose will get greenlit. Um, Moose Jaws, Jaws, in fairness, yeah. Um, will get greenlit. He's got a Clerks 3 on the go. He's just announced in the last two weeks that he's going to be doing a TV spinner for Buckaroo Banzai. Um each project seems to be getting green lit, and I don't know if that's because people are looking at the quality of what he's putting out now, or if people are looking at the legacy of the man. But even when looking at the legacy, you need to look at the last works. I don't think any of them hold a, a candle to his early stuff, and I don't think any of them are actually all that good. I think he's been on a downward spiral since Jane Silent Bob Strike Back. Um, Although I do kind of adore that movie. That movie's the last one which I think purely the Star Wars references get it. You know, in fact, you've got George Carlin and stuff like that in that movie. You know, from that point of view, you kind of have me. But since that point, I don't think he's made a good movie at all. I, uh, I like Red State. I, I you know, I, I understand why a lot of people wouldn't, but... I like Red State for about two-thirds of the movie, and the last third of that movie kind of, kind of ruins it for me. And I, I kind of really wish that he hadn't opted to do what he'd done in that movie and held back. It's still, it's still certainly one that I would say to people, you know, check out, but I don't think it's a good movie. Um, and it's his storytelling. I think that's what the issue is now, because he's a, he's a competent filmmaker. In fact, he's above competent filmmaking. Um, I just think there's a lack of judgment when it comes to writing now. Um, and his sense of humour has become overbearing to the point that it's no longer funny, it's just nauseous. So, yeah. I, although I, I admired the fact that uh, finally a backdoor jump start was captured on film, uh, like, which is what that's called. See, when it's explained, it's it's just, I can imagine him kind of tee-hee-heeing to himself when he, when he was writing it on his script. Um, and it really doesn't have any sort of, and like, the, the biggest crime of that is on some level, watching what that guy then has to go through should feel on some level gratifying and at the same time queasy and it didn't get anything from me i sat hmm. both feet straight to the very end of it and then was like well that's 10 minutes of my life i'll never fucking get back thank you very much <laughs> kevin smith all right well the I, great I mean, regular, that's that's his new nickname for kevin smith anyway that's yeah. me vented see I, I had to get this out of my system so i can enjoy the rest of the show but yeah, it's not a good shot at all. And it's surprise, surprise, surprise for me. I found a lot of Kevin Smith defenders are not able to defend it either, which I think speaks volumes. Yeah, I might even be in that camp of the Kevin Smith apologist. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I like I, I don't like Tusk either, but I also think that it's a supremely weird movie. And, oh, yeah. and, I, and I like the fact that the movie exists, even if I don't necessarily like watching that movie, and I, I think it ends horribly. Yeah. Um, but, and, you know, and Johnny Depp is, I, I don't know what the hell he's doing in that movie. He's got, a, he's got one of the larger roles in his next movie as well, because apparently we needed to flesh out that character in Yoga Hosers. Yeah, I, I just don't, I don't think that's funny. Um, 
Yeah, so again, I I get it, and I, I recently saw uh, an interview with him, uh, which was about yoga hosers. It was actually him talking about uh, uh, introducing at Sundance. I was watching that because it was uh, oh, yeah. um, him doing a little bit of Q and A, but it was mostly just like, hey, you know, I this is where I came from. You know, like Clerks was a Sundance movie and all that. Uh, but he said very explicitly in in his presentation of Yoga Hosers, uh, and again, this is not defending him. This is just his perspective on his own work as it stands right now. Um, and he basically said much what you said of like, hey, I wanted to put my daughter and, you know, a friend's daughter in a movie that was a weird movie that only me and a few other people are going to enjoy. And... You know, he was pretty honest about that, and I'm I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm I'm just saying that I think he recognizes that the movies he's making, and he, he basically said that the the Canadian trilogy was just a movie or a set of movies that was really made just for him. And if other people liked it, that was fine. But that's not what he was concerned about. Um, and then he'll you know he was like I'm you know and I'll go on to do some stuff that's more you know normal and not just my own weird imaginings. But I, you know, like I said, just from a creative point of view, I can kind of respect that attitude, even if I don't like the output. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I, I, again, not, not making excuses for his segment in holidays being bad or Tusk or any of that stuff, but you know, I mean, if he's just reached a stage and you may be right, it may just be totally marijuana fueled where he just can't, he can't discern between good and bad. As you said, I I think that's totally a, a legitimate take on this. Um, I think it's disappointing though, because Kevin Smith is both as a storyteller. Cause I love hearing his, his Q and a stuff. Uh, cause I think he's a, an incredible storyteller. Um, you know, it, like when Prince died, the, the bit, um, from one of his evening with specials made. Oh yeah. Sounds. The an elephant. Yeah. And it's a great story and it's well told and all that. And, and, you know, I like, I like Chase Amy. I'll tell you what, I even like Jersey girl. I don't and, mean Jersey Girl yeah, at all. I think, of, I think it's a movie that gets shit upon far too much. Yeah, I think George Carlin is really good in that movie. I think it's got a nice heart to it. Yeah, I think that movie is much maligned. Um, but anyway, we're not here just to talk about uh, Kevin Smith. <laughs> like the Kevin Smith um, trial will be a completely different show. <laughs> we ought to do that. Like uh, like uh, the people be uh, Kevin Smith at some point and... Uh, yeah, I think yeah. I, I, I think there's a there's a couple of ideas we'll speak about at the at the end. But there's a couple of things which I think would make interest in Duncan and Bo come correct standalone episodes uh, for somewhere down the line. Some of the things we've said in the past, which we would like to kind of discuss. That I, I'll put forward as potential ideas uh, at the end uh, for for things that might pop up during season three. But Bo, I have monopolised a, a while now um, talking about good and bad. You right. sort of have been out checking out movies as you do. Can't wait to hear what your bad one is because it's always amazing. Uh, but what was your good? My my good is, uh, and again, this goes back to Hail Mean because this is a movie I had to watch for that. But I, I, I bring it up because I wanted to talk to you about it briefly. Um, I watched Excalibur again. <laughs> And and the like the full on two hour twenty minute beast of a movie uh, that is Excalibur, and uh, I, I think I described it this way on the uh, Hail Ming Power Hour, which is a show everyone all listen to. It's really good, uh, but 
that movie is one of the most metal movies ever made, even though there is no metal in it other than the armor being worn. I mean, John Borman is a very hit and miss director. Like you're talking about the guy who did both Zardoz and, and deliverance. Yeah. You know, one of those movies is incredible. The other movie has a giant floating head spitting out rifles. I thought you were going to go the other way. I thought you were going to say uh, one of those movies is awesome. Another one has male rape. No, Deliverance <laughs> is what they <laughs> show, uh, because I, I, I come from the American South, Duncan. Uh, Deliverance is a movie shown to us in kindergarten. Um, and it's like, look, you just be on the lookout for this. You're in this neck of the woods. <laughs> so It's like, uh, what, what, what happens is you get to see a similar similar video presentation that we get in Scotland where we're shown Braveheart and, and we're warned in advance, expect the rest of the world to quote this movie whenever you say you're from Scotland, you must get exactly the same thing. As soon as you tell them they're from the South, someone will do a school like a piggy impression. So, right. Someone yeah. asked me to take my panties off. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but so John Borman is a an infrequently amazing director and sometimes a a really interesting director who may be misguided. Yes. And I think Excalibur, I mean, is it better than Deliverance? Maybe. <laughs> like it's, it's that good. It's, it's one of those movies that is from, from beginning to end. And it probably benefits uh, from the fact that I've seen this movie, you know, two dozen times, mm-hmm. but I, Love this movie so much. When I when I watched it again, I've forgotten how much I loved it. Yeah. And as I watched it, you know, like there, like when Arthur finds uh, Lancelot and Guinevere out in the forest and drives Excalibur between them, that's fucking rocking. And then uh, Lancelot wakes up and has that great line where he's like, oh, "A king without a sword, a land without a king," and then he fucks off for the rest of the movie until he comes back as a half bear person. <laughs> it's, oh, it's so good. Helen Mirren, uh, as Morgana Le Fay is like wonderful and sexy. And Oh yeah. Nicole Williamson as Merlin is, it, it's one of the great performances in cinema. As far as I'm concerned, mm-hmm. that his performance as Merlin, where he plays that character as a guy who wants the best for humanity is doing his, his, his darndest Duncan to lead the Kings that he advises towards the proper path, but has no faith that they're going to get there. Yeah. And it's such a great character. Uh, you know, Nigel Terry is Arthur is fantastic as well as, you know, this guy who's kind of doomed by his own fate and, uh, so good. God damn. I love that movie. Um, but I, I know you enjoy it as well, so... I... Yeah, oh, I, I think it's... But, see, I've, I've got a weird, creepy soft spot for Zardoz, like... <laughs> Understandable. It's it's such a weird movie that I do kind it, it It's it's eminently watchable, even though it's bizarre. Yeah, definitely, and I think um, when... Like, when you watch... I think, as a director, he's... He's a really interesting director in that he seems to, he really, like, especially in that time frame, just jumps all over the place with ideas and stories and doesn't really want to make the same movie over and over again. And you can see that certainly Deliverance is one of, 
you know, arguably one of one of the one of the most important American movies ever made. Like just it, and in terms of its cultural impact, the way it's shot and acted, it's incredible. I mean, it's a, it's an incredible movie. That's a, a yeah. powerhouse of cinema. Um, and you have Excalibur, which yeah, I know what you mean. Excalibur to me is like a powerhouse of cult cinema. They just you just don't see movies like that ever being made anymore. And they never will get made anymore. It was that kind of special time where you could really just go as crazy as you want. And you are right. I, I would not surprise me if bands like um, Iron Maiden and Judas Priest took uh, a lot of uh, a lot of imagery from that movie forward into their music videos. It has that feel, and you expect kind of blazing electric guitar solos and all the way through that movie and it just doesn't give you it. <laughs> it's like fuck you yeah it, I, that's really the only I, I and i don't think the movie would be improved by it but it would also be perfectly at home if when arthur is dragging himself along mordred's spear so he can stab his own son in the chest with excalibur mm-hmm. if you had a ripping guitar solo at that point i mean is it better maybe i don't know the music's real good already because you're ripping off Carl, Carl Orff uh, or Carmina Burana left and right, which is also great and is the closest you get to heavy metal in the classical realm. Yeah. <laughs> and, oh, God, I love that movie so much. I, I... No, was go a, ahead. I was a tad jealous when I heard that that's what you picked. And suitably, I recorded a nice message for you on that show. Yes, it was. Yeah, as always, you were gracious and kind. <laughs> as yeah, is your everyone nature. should check out the Omen Power Hour. Um, like I say, both myself and Bo uh, have just guested on them. So over the next couple of weeks, those shows will be dropping, and they are a ton of fun to do. It's I, I love the format of that show, which is just pick movies that you grew up with that you love, and just talk about them. Um, yeah. And give reasons and, why other people should watch them, and yeah, and focusing on that, why should people watch these movies? Um, yeah, it's got a great, great show. What, right now, let's get down to the nitty gritty here. What's on your bad list? Um, well, the nitty gritty, as you said, um... <laughs> I said nitty gritty. Yeah, that's not how it sounded. Um, <laughs> but I saw a movie called Bite. Uh, oh, right. this is yeah. This has just been put out by Scream Factory, I think, yes. uh, in partnership with it's IFC. It is. It is uh, IFC Midnight. Uh, mm-hmm. I believe is is the the brand that this falls under. It is. Um, it advertises itself as a, a body horror film. Ooh, and which it is undeniably. Um, the movie is a, about a, a, a trio of girls who are going on vacation right before uh, the main character is going to get married. Um, they end up uh, following some poor directions to a, a pond that has a warning sign on it. And uh, one, one of the girls is bitten by some insect in the water. And then uh, then they all come home and the, the girl who has been by the insect... Uh, begins to both decay and transform in uh, in horrible ways. Mm-hmm. Um, all that sounds great on paper. <laughs> and I will say that from an effects point of view, if what you want to see in a movie is somebody becoming more and more disgusting um, throughout a film, then it it works on that level. 
Um, the problem with the movie is that none of the characters are likable. Oh, no. Um, they're all just awful people to one degree or another. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole thing kind of takes place in one apartment building where the girl who was uh, bitten by the the uh, monster bug, um, she lives basically on the same floor as her fiancé. And the place is run by her fiancé's mother, who's just, you know, an awful lady who's super religious and has forced them to uh, agree not to have sex until they're married, which is the stupidest thing any married couple could possibly do. <laughs> like, let's let's make sure that the, you know, one of the fundamental cornerstones of our marriage is totally unknown to us. Yeah, let's make oh. sure it's untasted. Right, let's... Oh god, that's the dumb stuff. <laughs> I, I know I know that's a tangent, but I swear to God, anyone who is planning on getting married and listening to the show, which you know, honestly, we come up really high when people look for bridal podcasts. I don't know why, <laughs> but if if that is the case, if you've assembled on this show because you're interested in uh in in your bridal arrangement, you need to fuck your fiance. Yeah. yeah, if you haven't already, I mean, and even if you have, why not? It's always a good time. But <laughs> if you haven't had sex with your potential mate, you got to get that out of the way. You can't wait around for that. Mm-hmm. There, there is nothing worse than the the honeymoon night where you're just like, well, that was unsettling. You know, <laughs> like that's not the reaction you want. And knowing that you're married to unsettling is not the way to live. Yeah, I didn't realize that during during orgasm you were going to scream your mother's name loud. Right, and what is with all the crying? <laughs> and why did we have to have our, our pet wolf in the room with us? <laughs> right, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, you know, the video camera is fine, I mean, to a point, but <laughs> the fact that you have your stuffed squirrel that you call Mr. Taley <laughs> sitting <laughs> above us, and, and yeah. you're only looking at him is weird. Oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> It was that might that might have been too revealing. I was uh, about to say there's yeah, there's quite a bit of detail. On it's that very part. specific, yeah. <laughs> it's so, but all right. So bite it like the the whole deal is that she's become infected by this bug and she's kind of turning into a bug lady and she starts puking up eggs, and oh. and then has eggs uh, come out of her uh, her sexual business as well. Uh, which is what we call the vagina of the South, the, sexual, the ladies' <laughs> sexual business. Um, and it's weird because, like, she'll say, like, you know, like people come knock on the door, and she's just like, leave me alone, I'm vomiting eggs. And they're just like, okay, we'll check you later then. And <laughs> nobody is ever like, we need to get a look at you. The last time we saw you, you look like shit. Mm-hmm. And it's been a week since that. And you probably haven't gone to a doctor. Um, and it, yeah, it's like, on again, on paper, I should love this movie because it sounds like exactly the kind of movie that I would, I, I would kind of get, forgive a lot of sins. Because it's doing this weird body horror thing. And it does all that stuff pretty well. But it's just... Man, I, it turns out that's not all I need in a movie. Yeah, it's, uh, the, it, it's, it's I think it's one of the biggest kind of crimes of um, movie directors or scriptwriters or studios in analyzing Cronenberg's work. 
And I think it's something like, like I said before, when we come on to talk about uh, David Cronenberg on, on podcasts under the stairs, um, I mean, you need to have some substance there. You like, you need to have something in the backdrop or it's just horrible things happening to people. And yeah, I suppose I could watch that, but like Cronenberg and his body horror can give you some of the most horribly gruesome things you've ever seen on the screen, yet make you completely care and empathise or sympathise with a character and at the same time get some sort of socio-political statement as well while watching the movie. And it's it's all about balance and handling it right and good story, you know what I mean? Like eggs falling out of someone and being thrown up does not a good movie make, you know what I mean? You need you need everything else in there. Um, and it's funny, I, I, I did see the poster for it. I didn't realise, I thought that the poster then is completely misleading. The poster looks like a cannibal movie, um, which is what I assumed it was. Um, so I didn't even get the, the idea of any sort of body horror coming from it. And that's disappointing, because I, I still think body horror is one of those subgenres which can pretty much continue as long as it wants because um, you're not really confined to anything with that you're, with science and technology going the way they're going you know, there's always going to be a fertile ground to, to do that sort of stuff but that seems disappointing, especially if the effects are pretty good as well, you kind of want the yeah. best to be good as well. Yeah, I mean the effects aren't aren't terrible and in fact some of them are quite good um, and did you, have, have you watched The Nest, the, the Cronenberg short film? The Nest. Yeah. I, I can tell by your silence that you have not. Um, um, it, it, But it's kind of a similar premise. Where, I, it's, it's, not, yeah. <laughs> where it's a woman who goes into um, uh, her doctor's office and is convinced that she has a nest of insects living in her breast. And, right. it, and it is not... It's not as over the top, certainly, as something like bite, but it, it deals with the same thing of like I'm infected by this insectile thing. And Cronenberg in about nine minutes makes that more terrifying than bite does over the course of 90. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, at, to your point, it is putting the idea of body horror in the hands of a master filmmaker and and having them do some or you know Cronenberg do something remarkable with it and and somebody else is just you know too focused on well this will be gross yeah um but yeah it's a eh, real bummer but uh you know what's not a, a bummer Duncan <laughs> it was Samurai Cop which is the <laughs> first movie we're going to be discussing today. Uh, it is your selection for me, and uh, so it is now up to you to introduce it, and keep in mind there is uh, a clip. You don't have to call the clip out. I don't know why I even say this anymore. Um, <laughs> you're not going to tell anyone that there's a clip, but if you would uh, uh, introduce the film, and, and I don't know, mention a clip if you want. I've got to give up. <laughs> right. Um, so up first... Is a little movie called Samurai Cop from 1991. Um, it was, oh my god, written and directed by Amir Shervin. And it stars some people that you will have seen on camera before. And some people you certainly will not have seen. Uh, so the main main character is, like, uh, like Bo was saying earlier on, has the traditional samurai name of Joe. Which, yeah. 
Joe, Joe yeah. the Samurai. Joe uh, the Samurai Cap. <laughs> yeah, so the, the movie stars Matthew Caradis, I think, as Joe Marshall, uh, Mark Fraser, Robert Zars in this movie. Oh, my God. You big maniac cop-looking bastard. You're in this movie. What, uh, this Times must have been tough for this man. Uh, Janice Farley, Melissa Moore, other folk. Synopsis on IMDb. This is amazing. Uh, Joe Marshall and Frank Washington are two police detectives who must stop the ruthless activities of the Katana, a renegade Yakuza gang comprised of violent and sadistic killers who want to lead the drug trade in Los Angeles. Um, this movie is is awesome in so many ways, um, and. We'll get into we'll get into a bit more of a discussion, but first I'm gonna remember to say this, this is amazing. But first you're gonna hear a clip from the movie and when we're finished we'll be right back to discuss it. So right after this. Do you like what you see? I love what I see. Would you like to touch what you see? Yes, yes I would. Would you like to go out with me? Uh uh-huh. yes I would. Would you like to fuck me? Bingo. Well, then let's see what you've got. Doesn't interest me. Nothing there. Nothing there? Just exactly what would interest you? Something the size of a jumbo jet? Have you been circumcised? Yeah, I have. Why? Well, your doctor must have cut a big portion of it off. No, he, uh, he was a good doctor. So you've just heard a clip from the movie Samurai Cop. Now, Bo, before we get into this, I just want to say that I feel this season the roles have reversed. You may be wondering why I said that. I am wondering why you said that. (laughs) Why do you say that? (laughs) Because last year when we did Duncan and Bo come incorrect, I chose a movie from the early 60s. Um... It was fairly short. It was called Blood Feast. It was schlocky. It was kind of trying to be kind of gory. Uh, it was failing at all of those things. And it wasn't a long movie. And you chose a movie from, I believe, 1991. I think it's when Winter Feast came out. A movie or the movie? Yeah, the movie. The, yeah. the, the movie that we have dedicated pretty much our entire working ethos around since... Uh, spiritually, I only feel enlightened and centred when I think of Winter Beast. Yeah. So, um, but it was from the same year. It had oh, horrendously amazing. That's right. I've just kind of put them right beside each other. Those words. Horrendously amazing, inconsistent filming styles, weird sepia tones, <laughs> and characters interacting and reacting to things that were clearly not shot at the same time. And then revisiting Samurai Cop from the same year, I realised that Samurai Cop is very much akin to Winter Beast. So I think this year the roles have reversed and you brought a movie very much in the vein of, of Blood Feast and I brought a movie very much in the vein, although not nowhere near on the same level, as Winter Beast. So you'd never seen I, Samurai yeah. Cop. You no, guys... I hadn't. I, I was aware of Samurai Cop, uh, but not... No, I'd never sat down to just watch Samurai Cop. Tell me about it, Bo. Um, Samurai Cop is the amazing true story <laughs> of, 
<laughs> I can assu- only assume. Of uh, Joe Marshall, as as played by Matthew Caritas uh, or Carides or couldn't care less. It doesn't matter. <laughs> he's clearly a male model of some description. Must have been. Oh, or something. I mean, he's got a luxurious mane of Fabio-style hair, yes. which is pretty impressive. But he's got kind of big eyes. It's it's unsettling. He's got a weird, elongated face and out-of-proportion eyes. Like, the eyes should not be in this head. The head is very... <laughs> It's kind of like, you know, when Bruce Campbell opens the <laughs> opens the Necronomicon in Evil Dead 3, and his face gets sucked in when he pulls it, his jaws away down low, and his face is just long looking. That's kind of what this guy looks like with a mullet. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we know an unsettling amount of information about this character. <laughs> Not information we need, just information. Like, we know he's circumcised. <laughs> Uh, we know he's got a good doctor. Uh, all of this is taken from the uh, the critical scene. This is one of those audiences will not be seated during the scene moments um, where he's kind of flirting with a nurse. And yeah. she's like, I don't think your dick's big enough. And he's <laughs> like, yeah, it's fine. What do you want, a jumbo jet? And you're like, who is writing this? <laughs> and how can I get a job working for him? Because apparently all you have to do is have people say things, and it doesn't matter what's coming out of their mouth, it's just stuff. And that's a story. Yeah, that's that's all you you need. Like when you have a Yakuza boss saying to a police officer, as the Americans say, get the hell out of my face. You're like, I'm fairly sure that's not what the Americans say. It's not a well-known phrase. I'm (laughs) pretty sure that that's that's the actual uh, American phrasing. Um, yeah, it's, uh, so, I mean, the, the basic story such as it is, is that there is the Katana gang that is running rampant, I guess. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, I never really understood what the threat was from the Katana gang other than they were, they, I mean, yeah, they were, they were moving some drugs, I guess, and... Attacking other gang members, sort of. Killing themselves off. Yeah, it's... They're pretty good at that. See if you were in competition to this gang. All you need to do is basically just make sure their plans don't work out. You wouldn't actually need to threaten violence. Just foil anything they do and they will kill themselves. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean... So, you know, here's, here's, if you want to know how to, how to write a movie and, and I'm probably the last person that should give any advice on this, but, uh, <laughs> well, uh, the two of us here, one of us has written a movie, but another one didn't. So I think you're in a better position than I. Yeah, but I've seen the movie I wrote. Uh, <laughs> no, 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 it's fine. It, uh, but your villain should at least have some sort of clear goal. And there really isn't one up until the time that the Katana gang decides that they want to kill Samurai Joe. Mm-hmm. And then it's a lot of uh, Robert Zadar, who is more chin than man, <laughs> <laughs> like skulking around trying to figure out where Samurai Joe lives. He's got a ponytail in this, but he's got a Steven Seagal haircut. It's amazing. It's. He is the best part of this movie only because every time he's on screen, you're like, that's not real, right? That's not a person. 
that is some sort of makeup effect. And why would they build his jaw out so much? Um, but he has a beard to kind of cover some of that in this one, fortunately. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's great. And, and meanwhile, Samurai Joe and his, his partner, uh, black, Blackenston. Yeah. Um, who, like that is his whole characteristic is he is the black partner. That is all. Uh, his name is actually Frank Washington, which is almost as bad as Black. That's Hanson. terrible. That's, te- <laughs> that's absolutely terrible. It's that way where it's, it's like this guy. There's a disconnect with the, this director writer to the rest of the world, where like where a lo- when a lot of <laughs> to humanity, yeah, to humanity in general. But it's like he lifted up a, a book on America. And just like read the wrong book of America, in that he names his his really his only black character in this like like character that actually has scripted lines. Um, after what you would imagine, like I, I don't know, someone who was emancipating slaves would name their slave. Right, your name is now Frank Washington because Frank obviously and Washington because he was our greatest first president. Um, it's just. It's just a terrible, terrible name, and this character literally has some of the worst dialogue ever. Like as buddy cop things go, he doesn't. He's not the funny one. He's not the guy that does the action. I actually don't know why he's there. Like <laughs> genuinely, except to do the Indiana Jones thing every now and again when someone pulls out a sword and starts swinging about the place to shoot them, which they do about four times in this movie. <laughs> yeah, the first time it's like, oh, okay, well that's a tip of the hat to to Raiders and. I, I get it, and that's fine. And by the third time, you're just like, oh, geez, I get it already, will you? Um, and also, uh, Freddie Boom Boom Washington um, will look at the camera awkwardly and smile a lot. Uh, yeah. Just in, anytime he's reacting to something, it's just, you know, like... It's sort of the uh, the ads that you see for local newscasts, mm-hmm. where when they film it, the newscaster is looking in a different direction, and as soon as the camera falls <laughs> on them, they turn and smile like, oh, there you are, camera. It's that kind of thing, except Freddie Boom Boom Washington does it for 75% of the scenes he's in. What did you make? And I, I know I'm jumping ahead, but it's like one of the. I actually almost pissed myself laughing. I thought it was fucking hilarious when they break into his apartment to get the to get to get the address of the samurai cop, and the guy puts a knife to his dick and then threatens to take away his was it his his black pleasure or something? I was like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. It's <laughs> but, but like you said, this this is clearly written and directed by a guy who gets all his information from other movies. Mm-hmm. And like the treatment of the Katana gang is ridiculous because it operates like no gang ever has. <laughs> it's just a random, like a, a loose confederation of people more so than a real gang. Um uh, like uh, uh, what's his name? Fujiyama is is the head of the gang. Yeah, and we did from a uh, big trouble in little China is one of his henchmen. Yeah, but it's what is he in charge of? What is he? <laughs> what does he ever instruct anyone to do that actually works out? Well, it does tell them to kill off one of the competition, a guy who gets shot and then in the next scene isn't shot and then gets shot again and then the next scene isn't shot and then gets shot again and then he's dead. 
Yeah, well, sometimes they come back, Duncan. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's... But other... All right, so yes, there is one scene where he orders the execution of another, again, a gang member, right? So mm-hmm. who gives a shit? Um <laughs> I mean, I, I understand the police have to maintain law and order, and we've also got the stereotypical police chief who's always oh, pressing down samurai. Show. Amazing, he's because he's just—he's not like like other police chiefs born like that. You know, you destroyed half a city block, and now I'm gonna the, the governor's gonna be chewing my ass out for a week, and you know all these things. Are like this guy's just abusive. Yeah, like he doesn't take anything. He just abuses his cops. He just calls them the most horrible names and tells them to get the fuck out of his office. Yeah, there's no constructive criticism. It's just criticism. Um, yeah, criticism and abuse. Yeah, it's it's all just like, I need a suspect. We've got to send these guys to jail. Yeah. And every time I turn around, the suspect that you bring me is dead or has been on fire and can't say nothing. And <laughs> and uh, the one thing that uh, our, 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 our good friend Amir Shervan uh, likes to bring us is a little nipple. Because <laughs> you can't be a woman in this movie without showing your tits at least once. Yeah, at least once. Um, and yeah, I mean, like, there's the sexy female henchman who ends up having sex with Robert Zadar, and uh, and I can only assume has a chin baby later. <laughs> By which I mean it's just a chin uh, attached by an umbilical cord. Um. Like Samurai Joe is sleeping around a little bit with one of the girls uh, on the force mm-hmm. until he meets Fujiyama's, uh, you know, kind of kept woman, and then he he gets in on that action. And yeah, I mean, Samurai Joe for a guy who gets rebuffed early in the movie for having a small circumcised penis. Mm-hmm. Is definitely slinging it around. Oh yeah, like he is like anything, any, and it all seems to be blonde women as well. Any blonde woman in this this movie is you know in in danger, in danger of meeting Samurai Joe's chopper. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, <laughs> it's just it's it, it kind of like there's. When you're watching this, it, it reminds me of kind of 1980s arcade games, like kind of Streets of Rage, you know, Final Fight, you know, these sort of things. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It kind of has that aesthetic going on, going on where like, even how the, the scoring in this movie is absolutely ridiculous. Um, but it just, it's, it's, it's so weird, but it's hilarious at the same time. And I can't think for one second the people that were making this movie genuinely thought they were making a legitimate movie. I mean, on some level, there must have been, like, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Because some of these guys have starred in movies. Like, um, Gerald uh, Okamura was in, like I said earlier, earlier on, he was in Big Trouble Little China. He's in a John Carpenter movie. Uh, and and Robert Zadar would fucking work with Bill Lustig, so I mean they've worked with like proper directors before. That I just it, it blows my mind that this movie exists like at all. It, it exists about three or four years too late as well. It's crying out to be like an American Ninja, which I think is probably one of the bigger influences on it. It just 
And how is this guy a samurai? Yeah. How is Samurai Joe a samurai? Someone explain that to me. Because he's from San Diego. Clearly Uh, the home of the samurai. (laughs) Yeah. And and doesn't have a sword until the last five minutes of the movie. (laughs) The rest of the time he just goes around shooting people like normal cops. But everyone calls him a samurai cop. Like all through the movie they're like, this young samurai cop that they have on the force. And it's like, why... Why do you know that, first of all? Second of all, what leads you to believe he is in any way a samurai? Yeah. <laughs> it's nonsense. But it, but that's kind of the beauty of this movie. And I, I kind of disagree. I think, yes, I think individual actors may have been like, this is a real turkey. Like, nobody is coming away clean from this shoot. <laughs> but I think that the director... I don't think he thought he was making a good movie. I think he was he thought he was making a good enough action movie to turn a buck. Yeah. And accidentally made a great bad movie. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's hugely entertaining. I think that's the thing about it is that for all it is awful in terms of his acting. Awful. The action sequences are terrible as well. I mean, we've got sped up car chase scenes, we've got sped up fighting scenes, like that end fight scene between uh, Joe Marshall and uh, Robert Zadar, yeah. yeah. Robert Zadar is it's like five minutes of the same fight scene repeated over and over again. I don't know how many times they're going to pick up their swords and throw their swords away, then have a small fist fight, then pick up their swords and throw their swords away and have another small fist fight. And it's just fucking nonsense. And it's clearly sped up. And it's almost at the level of like ridiculous comedy. It's um, professional wrestling. It, it, it is what it you're really saying is. there because there's a lot of like cheating, uh, cheating the angles of uh, of the punch, mm-hmm. and Robert Zadar is a master at the reacting to getting hit. <laughs> he's just like, God, <laughs> it's oh, it's oh, it's sweet. <laughs> it feels good when you see it. It's, yeah, it's a, 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 amongst all that, and you know, a soundtrack that sounds like it's come right from a an an eighties uh, button mashing arcade game. It is it, you can't take your eyes off the screen. I think it, like you totally are just. I, I think you're absorbed with one. How did this movie get made? Two. Did anyone know? Even on the editing back, did anyone see what they had done? Um, and and three, how how does this movie exist? I think that was the thing that got. How does this movie? And you're right. It's, it kind of comes. It's on the the back of something we spoke about before on here. Canon, Canon. I think has a lot to answer for when it comes to movies like this because this is a movie that has certainly come out um, from the legacy of Canon films. Because it certainly tries to cram a lot of canon films into one movie here. And it just becomes insane. It's like the most bizarre... I've never... like This was the second time I saw this. I saw this ages ago. Um, and I don't know why. I kind of repressed the memory. And when I was doing a bit of research, I'd come across the, you know, well, this is a bad movie, so bad that they're good, and all the rest. And Samurai Cop, and I was like that. No, that's a bad movie. That's not a so bad it's good. That's a bad movie. Um, and then watching it back, just being like that. No, no, that that's accurate. It's 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 terrible, but in its terribleness, it becomes hugely entertaining. Yeah, there, there's a great moment, and by great, I mean deplorable. <laughs> uh, from just in, uh, any human uh, perspective, but when they're trying to get Samurai Joe's apartment number, 
Because that, that, like, a, a good 20 minutes of this movie is just spent trying to figure out where Samurai Joe lives. <laughs> is this the bit? Please tell me it's the bit I'm thinking of, because I almost, I almost passed out laughing last night when I saw it. Like, when they go to his girlfriend's house. Yes. And she's cooking in the kitchen. Yeah. And three yeah. of them appear at the window, like, trying to open the window and it won't open, so they just move on to the next. <laughs> yeah, but when they pop up in the window, it's like, hello, hello, hello. It's, it's great. <laughs> And then when they finally bust in, uh, it, it really is like the, the Yaka, uh, uh, the Katana gang is just the, you know, the gang that couldn't swing straight. Uh, but they, they, uh, they hold the girlfriend down. Well, not a girlfriend because he's off with Fujiyama's squeeze. Yeah. And by this point, he's moved on. Yeah. Right. I don't so, think she knows that, but right. he hasn't moved on. Yeah. So the girl that he's ghosted on, um, is, now in the hands of thugs trying to find out where Samurai Joe is. So they pour grease on her, uh, on, I guess her stomach, mm-hmm. uh, to get her to talk, which she eventually does. And honestly, if she had known that, you know, Samurai Joe is with Fujiyama's lady, I probably like, that's really all you have to tell her is like, Oh yeah, he's fucking this other check. And then she's going to be like, Oh, let me tell you just where he lives. And in fact, <laughs> Here's where his key is, and sometimes you got to jiggle the handle a little bit to get the key to turn. <laughs> and but, fine, I'll come along with you. It's all right. Yeah, <laughs> let me go. It's easier if I just go with you. And and please let me watch you murder him. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so that's pretty terrific. And then when the the uh, the thugs do show up, like everybody in this movie dies, like they're they're in the Magnificent Seven, where there's a lot of clutching the chest and like oh. Ooh, and no one can just fall down. It's, yeah. I got to hold my, my side or my chest. I got to, you know, fire up into the air as I fall back. Like, nobody just gets shot and drops. It's it's always a big production. Um, everybody is really looking for their moment to shine in this movie. And, <laughs> uh, our, our director, uh, Monsieur Sherman... Uh, was not wise enough to be like, you know what? Some of you, like, not everyone can have a dramatic death scene. Some of you are just going to fall down. Um, but they did not get that message. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's great. Like, the gunplay is stupid, but, but kind of great. Like, there's one point where, um, uh, Robert Zadar is firing a shotgun <laughs> and is just holding it one handed around the side of a tree and lets it go off. <laughs> And I was like, you know, I don't necessarily ask for realism in everything I watch, obviously. But one-handed firing a shotgun with absolutely no recoil, I've played enough Doom to know that that's not the case. Um, I don't care how much strength you have in your arm. That is an explosion happening a foot away from your hand. Uh, Anyway, it's, it's... he gets smuggled into a hospital in a laundry basket. <laughs> yes. Uh. Yeah, I mean, like, every scene in this movie is kind of ridiculous. Like, there's not... The, the one thing I will say about it is there's not a moment where if you're a fan of movies, and especially a fan of, of movies that get it wrong, mm-hmm. this movie never bothers to get it right. There's no, <laughs> There's no point in the movie... And I think we can say this of the of the next movie we're going to be talking about as well. But there's no scene in the movie that leads you to believe that a competent, well-made movie just went awry. Yeah, it's just all poop. 
Yeah. <laughs> so, like, like the, nothing, I like, nothing at all makes, yeah, the, the, I, there's no storyboard to this movie. I mean, no one storyboarded this one out. It just kind of feels like day-to-day, the director just kind of went like that. Right, you know, I was going to have used it. No, I'm going to just change it. You know what would be really cool if we did this? And without thinking about continuity, how it fits back in with the story. Um, Yeah, the inconsistencies in this movie are phenomenal between something happens to a character, we switch away for a second, we come back, and it has been undone. Whether it's the cop that they break into, the first cop they break into to get Samurai Joe's. Right. <clears throat> they basically tear open his wife's top. So rip his top up so, once again so we can get that sweet, sweet tip, uh, nipple action as the, as, as the boob falls out. And then the camera pans to the reaction of the husband. And when the camera comes back, she's fully clothed in an unripped dress. Again, and I'm like, what the? How the? What? Yeah. The- and that's just the whole movie. Characters get shot. And there's a, a bullet mark, and then when the camera goes back to him, there is no bullet mark. Um, the fight sequences are just phenomenal. They're just amazing and how bad and ridiculous. The gun sequences, every single gun that fires in this one has a puff of smoke that comes out of it. And then there is that one point where they're having a, like a shootout in one of the rooms, and basically looks like someone has turned on a smoke machine because there's that much gun smoke for the bit of place, I was like, that doesn't happen. <laughs> it's like, I live in a country that is basically outlawed guns, and I know that doesn't happen. Um, just like so much bad here, which makes it amazing. And, and our, our head of the gang, uh, Fujiyama, is dispatched about 15 minutes before the end of the movie. Yeah, and not by Samurai Joe. Yeah, it's like he's the main bad guy. What the fuck? Uh, so he, he's dispatched, and then. We've then got another 50 minutes leading up to the real fight, which is Samurai against Samurai, I suppose. Um, <laughs> One presumes, but again, like you said, they're just constantly throwing their swords away. Yeah, it's two, it's two Americans fighting as well. They got rid of all the Asians in this movie who, are, on some level, would have a legitimate claim to be, you know, a Samurai, and then went to the two most least likely Samurai people to have our own fight sequence. It's just as nonsense. It's wonderful, wonderful nonsense. Um, in fairness, Robert Zadar's name in the film is uh, Yamashita. Yeah, which is just nonsense as well. Um, <laughs> and the, the gang don't make sense. No one in this gang are from the same ethnic group. Nope. The same age. Nope. The same dress clothes. Nope. Just, they all just look like a hodgepodge of villainy. Like, it's... <laughs> It is the, like, League of Evil Intent. <laughs> because they don't actually ever do anything that is all that effective. Like, as we said, you know, there's one uh, rival gang member that gets knocked off. But the rest of the movie is just a series of misadventures. <laughs> the, the worst gang ever. The, the worst gang. None of them can do anything. One of my favorite scenes as well is the gang, like, three of the guys in the gang try to attack Samurai Joe in a, in a kind of bar. And he starts ragdolling them. One of them has a baseball bat, which, you know, just becomes like a silly weapon um, and flung away. But the guy who first fights him runs away from him. And we get this huge chase scene. Like, we dedicate a lot of time to, like, basically an on-foot chase scene. To the point that it runs around one of the corners and he's he clearly knows he's trapped. And he runs and he trips up by hitting a car accidentally, so to speak. But when he falls over... 
I'm fairly sure this is an accident, and if it is, it's the greatest accident ever. He falls over and he goes, ah, my leg, my leg, my leg like this. And then Sam Rigel's on top of him arresting him. And I, I'm like that, did that guy, I think the guy actually hurt, hurt himself and shouts out, ah, my leg, because he has actually hurt himself as in cut. You know, like, can we get some assistance here? Yeah, I think um, it was a legitimate cry for help. Yeah, and <laughs> just keep it in. This badass villain like stubs his toe and then cries about it, <laughs> deflating the whole. It's just after this like four minute chase sequence, which is too long to have a chase sequence, and it just it's fucking nonsense. I I love how bad this movie is. I mean, I it's it's just nothing in this movie works or is right, and as a result of that, what you're left with is something I can't even call it a charming movie because it doesn't even have that. It's just this is the this is a, a Rosetta Stone of how not to make a movie. You know what I mean? It's everything about it is just horrible. Um, and you're right, Robert Zadar is the best thing in this movie, and he's shit. So that <laughs> yeah, if if you're at a point where you're saying this movie would not work without Robert Zadar. <laughs> You have put yourself as a filmmaker in a very uncomfortable position. Yeah, your eggs are in the wrong basket. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh, real good. It's real good. <laughs> I think it's watching it. All I could think of, all I could think of is, one, what I was thinking of is, why am I putting myself through this? Um, and two, it just reminded me that this is why I love Duncan and Bo Come Incorrect, because... There, I, I would spend so much time hunting good movies out that I, I would never come back and watch a movie like this um, with it, was it not for the fact that we were doing this show um, and I did, I, I laughed constantly throughout this movie, it's, it's absolutely hilarious like if you grew up in the 1980s watching action movies or martial arts movies or anything like that and you watch Samurai Cop you will see like slithers of of what the director is trying to do amongst the just clusterfuck that is everything else in this movie. It is an omni-shambles, and it's pretty entertaining because of it. Yeah, it's it's really something to see. And I, I, I again, unreservedly recommend, if you're a fan of, of bad movies, Samurai Cop, <laughs> it's, it's as bad as we have described it and as wonderful... And it like you were just scratching the surface because again, every scene in this movie is just nonsense of one form or another. Yeah. It's just like, you know, how are they going to hit me with ineptitude this time? Is it going to be the poor editing? Is it going to be the dialogue? Is it going <laughs> to be bad effects? Is it going to be structural inconsistency or maybe just, you know, as you said, like chronological problems where it's like, he's dead, he's alive, he's dead again, you know. All that stuff is in there and more. And it happens more than once every time. And so the, the question I need to ask you, Bo, is the last year the sequel came out. Yes. So a whole 24 years later, someone came back to to revisit it. And there is a sequel out there. And when I was checking over like the cast list and that, pretty much the same cast is back, obviously, with the, the exception of people like Robert Zadar, who passed away, etc. But Fujiyama's back in this movie and, and, and all the rest. Are you... Are you tempted to check it out? Oh, yes. I'm the same 
I can actually can't, I see in between this season and next season, um, I will have checked out uh, Samurai Cop 2. I, I just want to see what, my curiosity is so piqued that someone would say, you know, 24 years later, you know what we didn't get that is the real crime in cinema? It's not Behind the Mask 2, um, it's Samurai Cop 2. Let's make that happen. So Samurai Cop 2, Deadly Vengeance. Yeah, it needs to be done. I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we'll watch it, and it may be a, a special episode of like we've seen this. Let's come back and report to you. <laughs> uh, you, you are faithful listeners, whether or not it's worth your time, uh, and I can almost promise it will be. Hey, everybody, Bo here. Uh, so you will hear us talk later about the Winter Beast screening for the uh, the end of season two, and I just want to let everyone know that is happening on June fourth. Uh, if you would, head over to our Facebook page at uh, Legion Podcasts um, and uh, or just look at the front page of legionpodcasts.com. Uh, we will eventually have the link up for you to join us, but mark your dates. It's going to be June 4th, 8 p.m. Eastern Time here in the uh, U.S. of A. Uh, Duncan and I will be uh, joining whoever would like to attend uh, as we watch the movie that has uh, inspired this podcast uh, for more than a little while now. And uh, yeah, so Winter Beast, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, June 4th. Uh, like I said, check out legionpodcasts.com uh, for more information as the date draws near. Uh, probably about the beginning of June, we will have that uh, link up and ready for you. But mark the calendars, mark the dates, and uh, join us if you would. Uh, and you can ask any questions of Duncan and myself about the season or movies we've been seeing or just how amazing Winter Beast is. So, uh, yes, June 4th, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. We will talk to you then. So, our next film, uh, if it can be referred to uh, as a film, uh, <laughs> is the uh, the horror question mark movie. Uh, <laughs> Blood Shack, uh, from 1971, uh, directed by Wolfgang Schmidt, a.k.a. Ray Steckler. Uh, Wolfgang Schmidt, of course, uh, the director of Das Boot. Um, no, that's not right. I was about to say, what? (laughs) Wolfgang Peterson. Uh, so, Blood Shack is, uh, just to give you a little bit of setup, I saw this movie as a teenager. Um, I have adored it ever since. Um, it is a, it comes in at a lean 55 minutes. So it doesn't ask much of you, uh, but in fairness, it doesn't give you much. So that's good. Uh, it is the, the, the official IMDb synopsis is a young woman inherits a ranch that is supposedly haunted by a murderous beast called the Chooper. That is generous. <laughs> although, although not wholly inaccurate, it doesn't quite capture what this movie is uh so uh i'm gonna give you a clip here this is uh this is a little bit of uh two girls arguing over how to play musical chairs (laughs) just one of my favorite moments in the movie because it is the director just putting two girls in front of a camera and saying i don't know do something And and I feel like much of the film is uh, is just that. So here's the clip, and uh, we'll be right back to get Duncan's thoughts. I think we should play musical chairs. We can. You need three people. Well, we can just hop and sit down 
It won't work. How about sit down in the chair and whistle, let him, and go over and sit in the chair. How do you play that game? Well, all you do is just go around the chair and sit down. And now, which one to sit down with? I sat down, I won. Duncan, now, when I hear those two little girls, I think that sounds like movie magic. <laughs> uh, how could you not like two adorable little girls? Um, Duncan, what did, what did you make of Blood Shack? Uh, I, and I can't wait to hear this. Right, this movie blew my fucking mind. Like, sure. Seriously. <laughs> like, I was not ready for this, Bo. I, mean, I, I kind of thought... Like, I'm, I'm 35 this year. I've been through several life exp- experiences. Um, I've watched a lot of movies, a ton of movies. Good, bad, uh, indifferent. I, I, you know, I went through my life having experienced a lot. I had never experienced Bloodshack. I have now, and I'm a changed man for it. Um, like, I, to put things in perspective here, there's a couple of things I'd, I did... Before watching the movie, um, and I don't tend to do this, but like once I saw the the DVD artwork and I had a specific idea of what the film was going to be like, um, I waited off. I wanted to make sure that I'd watch this as close to recording as possible, so I watched this this morning, um, and I dropped you a line because I was genuinely starting to panic that I got the wrong movie because the only version of Bloodshot that I could find was fifty five minutes long. I said, this can't be right. 55 minutes, that's not right. That's, there's something going on here. Um, and it turns out I did get the right film, but I had heard that there was a director's cut version of this. And I was like, oh my God, there's a director's cut. Maybe I should have watched the director's cut version, which is 70 minutes long, Bo. And the extra 10 minutes is basically more rodeo footage put back in. It's 10 minutes of rodeo yeah. footage put in to pad this movie, which just is just amazing. Let's be honest. <laughs> At 55 minutes, there's still too much rodeo. Yeah, this movie has a lot of rodeo. It's kind of like that SNL sketch where Christopher Walken's saying, I'm going to need a little more cowbell. Yeah, you know, i got to have a little more cowbell, uh, which is, once again, my bad Christopher Walken. Um, it's kind of... Kind of like the director here was doing the same with rodeo footage. Or the editor was doing the same. Well, if this movie had an editor, I don't fucking know. Um, it seems like uh, Ray Dennis Stickler um, or Wolfgang Schmidt uh, pretty much has made a career out of making movies like this. Kind of very cheap, schlocky, you know, movies which cost next to nothing to do, which are filmed on a location where he can just do whatever he wants very quickly to put something out. And then if he makes money back, which he probably will do, um, it's on to the next project and fair play to him. There's, you know, there, there has to be a respect given to filmmakers that genuinely want to make films and go out and do them. I would, I would maybe levy the thing at him that I don't think he watched any of his movies back. Um, because that would explain some of what, I've seen. Uh, so yeah, Blood Shack is basically about a woman that inherits this ranch, kinda, like you said in your synopsis. Yeah. Um, and the the uh, supposedly a haunted shack. Um, and... it's 150 years old. We are told on a number of occasions, which 
doesn't seem right uh, based on the construction of said blood shack, but all right. <laughs> Not that it just doesn't even seem right in the construction. It just doesn't seem plausible. Everything else on this ranch looks like it was built maybe 10 minutes ago and has already fallen apart. So I'm not going to believe that the shack has existed for this long. And we kind of start off with this this woman as a dare spending the night in there. It's very Scooby-Doo. I mean, this the, the opening kill in this movie is about as Scooby-Doo as it can get in real action form because she decides to spend the night there and... If I was spending a night in a place that I thought might be haunted, I would not be going to fucking bed. Let alone sleep on that soiled, yellow-stained mattress that she sleeps on with a blanket she's literally found two minutes before that has just been lying on the ground. I mean, it's all very horrible. Um, And she does this, and she starts hearing some noises, and she's kind of chased by this guy that looks like he's trying to be a ninja. I don't know. He's Yeah, the trooper. The trooper, yeah, you can say the, it. The, 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 the trooper, which is a awful fucking name for for anything. Is it supposed to be like a play on El Chupacabre? Or you know, I, I don't know. I think I, it's. I, I I think it is what it is, Duncan. It's the legend <laughs> of the trooper. If if you if you've had the misfortune to go this long without hearing the dark tales of the trooper. I just I have this idea that maybe it was a typo and what he meant to write was the chopper because the guy's got like a large sword machete thing and he just you know it was the wrong typo and by then it was too late people had just committed to the script to memory that it was too late by then we're just like we might as well just stick with it. Let's... like one character like because they don't like you're right they don't do any second takes in this movie <laughs> so it was the, it was the chopper in the script but as soon as someone said chopper for the first time they were like that well it looks like we'll change the character name. For all this, so um, she gets chased around the the shack by this weird (laughs) trooper who is dressed in a a kind of black jumpsuit and balaclava, brandishing some sort of cross between a machete and a samurai sword above his head. And as he's running, someone is playing rejected sound effects from the Six Million Dollar Man. He's like. He's like, what the fuck is going on? It's like the sound effects from Space Invaders are playing. Yeah, it's pretty great. (laughs) So he chases around. And then this tiny shack that she's in, it instantly becomes like a Scooby-Doo chase. So she runs in one door, he runs in another one. They come out in the wrong place. Then they're both on it. And then one second, she's the trooper. And then, you know, they're back switched over. Right, she's chasing him for a second. Yeah. yeah. It's just the weirdest thing ever. And she dies. Death by like paint getting dropped on her. Because that's kind of what it looks like. Yeah. The sword goes nowhere near her. And then all of a sudden she's just got like paint marks. Um, and we are led to believe. We are led to believe that the. Uh, his name escapes me. Is it Daniel? Um, Daniel. How do you forget Daniel? Yeah. <laughs> the linchpin upon it's... which Bloodshack turns. The only man in the movie warning people appropriately. Don't go in this. Don't go in the blood shack. That's where the trooper is. And, and people just refuse to listen to Daniel. Stupid people. Yeah. And stupid, stupid people. Honestly, a a solid 40% of, of the lines coming out of this guy's mouth are the trooper's going to get you. (laughs) But 
he's we're, we're, we're kind of led to believe the movie kind of hypothesizes this premise that he is the chipper because well for a while anyway because uh, he's the one that's disposing of the bodies after the effect and he's talking to a, a house we don't know who he's talking to so yeah. He's just kind of, yeah, it's okay, Trooper, you can keep killing them, and I'll keep hiding them, and you're not going <laughs> to... What the fuck is going on here? It's like, is he talking to the house? Are you talking to this house? I mean, who are you right now, Daniel? He's... And yeah, so there's this guy trying to buy Wait, the property. But before we get to Tim, <laughs> mm-hmm. the scene that we're talking about where Daniel is is specifically talking to the house has one of my favorite moments in movie history in which as he's delivering his monologue, Shakespearean monologue as it is about, (laughs) about him uh, uh, having to clean up these murders and whatnot, a gust of wind comes along and blows off his hat. Mm. And there's a moment where he starts to go for it. (laughs) And then it's like, no, 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 that's gone. And then just stops and delivers his line. Like there is, not another movie I can think of where that would be allowed to be the take. Yeah, but that's, he has been told beforehand there is one shot. You have one shot to do this. So when his hat comes off, <laughs> he looks at his hat flying away and then weighs up. Like, I can't ruin this shot or this just won't exist anymore. So he has to deliver his line. Yeah. There is no, like, everything about this movie is shot in one take. It must have been. I, 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 there's no way there was two or three takes for things because things are delivered at times so awkwardly that it can only be one take. Um, there's a scene later on in the movie where the, the chipper jumps off the top of a building to attack a cop, clearly misses his mark, right? And the cop, I imagine at this point, is supposed to fall over. But he doesn't. He kind of stumbles and runs towards the side of where the camera's set up. So then the next scene we see is the cop falling onto the ground. So like that should have all happened in one one clip. But because there's only one take, he's like, nah, I'm not jumping off that building again. Uh, all right, well, we've got to keep this right. So the next scene, you're going to fall over. It's just, it's, it's nonsense. And this movie switches like about 15 minutes from being a movie where people are talking and engaging with each other in real time to whole sections which are basically our character, our, our main, our main female character, the one that inherits the property, kind of like reading a diary out in her head. It's like the weirdest thing ever. It switches, and in between two huge like stock footage rodeo scenes, which make no sense in the yeah. context of the movie. They don't like. It's not as if right they're on a ranch, but it's not as if they're raising bills to be you know taken down for a rodeo. It's the it, my head couldn't handle it. Like, when we were at the rodeo the first time, I was like, right, so we've got... Where are our characters that are not... Where are our, why are our characters not at the rodeo? And then it suddenly dawned on me pretty quick. This is film completely different from the movie. This must be stock footage, right? I can handle that. And then we go back to characters interacting for about 10 minutes, and then we go back to the rodeo again for no reason at all. Yep, yep. I, it's, I know, it's wonderful. Yeah, so, I, so, like, so basically... Keeps going on like this, and then we get introduced to these two little girls who, like you said, are accurately are just basically told to run around and they'll be filmed. Forget the cameras here, girls. Just speak to each other, and they're awkward. 
they're really awkward on screen and the, I, you can clearly see at some point they do forget the cameras on and as a result of that the, the most genuine acting performances on screen here are actually done by the two little girls who don't know there's a camera on them um and then a police officer starts investigating why people are disappearing from a cabin that's existed for 150 years where it's apparently haunted and people have been dying there for a while and um, the police are finally caught up to this maybe it's something to do with that that murder shack that blood shack up there um so the police officer goes in and can't find this is the scene i was talking about can't find anything and then he's on the way out and then the trooper in broad daylight dressed in black um jumps off the top of the the building and kills him and then we Tim still trying to get the property. Tim at one point refers to the land that this woman has as ten thousand miles. Yeah, which is accurate. That, you know, that so that, it's like, like a... you you've got all the land and sky for ten thousand miles, and I was like, that is just it's not ten thousand miles. It's maybe maybe ten ten meters squared, if that, because there's a fence around the property. You fucking loony. Um, but like, 10,000 miles? Really? Really? This woman would be the richest woman in wherever this fucking movie's supposed to be set. She'd be the richest. 10,000 miles? Anyway. So, oh, God. And then, uh, of course, we have the, you know, she knows about the lake uh, under her land, which makes it more valuable, one assumes. But, of course, that comes to nothing, because who cares? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't... Like, there's all these little things that start to get kind of kind of shoehorned in um, as, like, I don't know why. It's like... I don't know why he puts them in, because the the director, um, stroke writer of this movie, has no intention of giving us anything like this. And truth be told, this was shot on a weekend, I think. Um, I'm sure I read it was shot on a weekend and cost $500 to make. It seems like a lot. Yeah, I was about to say, some of that money went elsewhere. Like in the back pocket of the director on the or on budget. drugs or yeah on drugs. <laughs> the the dining cart was just like a couple of finger sandwiches, but the drug cart was stocked. Sure. <laughs> so yeah, so this all eventually builds up to this ridiculous scene where the chipper decides that he's going to kill Carol, but um, or Connie, whatever her name was, um, and. At this point, this is where Daniel steps up to save the day, kinda. And he starts having a fight with the chipper, kinda. Um, and is ultimately stabbed, kinda. I was <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. He gets like a, a, a wound in his kidney. Like, and you would imagine, like, any anything you bleed out, not in this movie, we just put some red paint on him, and then that's it. And he's kind of holding his, ah, holding his stomach like this. And, yeah, the chipper eventually dies, and we find out that it's, is, uh, was it Tim? Was yes, Tim, the Tim yeah. Foster, who wanted the land. Like, it starts as a Scooby-Doo movie, and it ends as a Scooby-Doo it movie. It is. It's like, you know, I would have got away with it, too, if it hadn't been for you and your pesky kids and your your your, your screwy dog. And in the background, you've got Shagger. And, you know, it's like Shaggy's there and Thelma's there. It's, it's the most Scooby-Doo of all Scooby-Doo endings. Right, it's a brunch shack. ruh Zorks. Like, you know, it's just... Oh. And then I kind of thought to myself, I was like, Right, so he's the, right, says so Tim. Tim wanted 
land. Right? That kind of makes sense, but at the same time, doesn't make sense because Daniel's been fighting Tim against this land all the way through the... Right, don't get this. Why would he be helping him if he's not with... But then I thought, remember, this movie is cheap. Um, and yeah, then we get a bit more of uh, Carol, Connie, whatever her name is, doing a bit of kind of head talking. Um, and then we cut to credits. <laughs> and I'm sitting in my chair and against my better judgment, the first thing that goes through my head is, you need to watch that movie again. And I don't know why. That's not wrong. It's awful. It's, it's an awful, awful movie. It's just so, so bad. But it's another one of these ones where you have to ask yourself, at what point does a movie, how does a movie like this exist? Like, I can understand how Blood Feast exists because Blood Feast is basically setting up this kind of splatter go genre. It's the, it's the pioneer of this schlocky, cheap budget splatter go thing that would go on and influence, you know, generations of movies. But it's a bad movie. And it's hilarious, but it's a bad movie. And then to think that this is, like almost 10 years on and a movie like this exists and like I say I've seen plenty of movies of this calibre from the doing the nasty show that I did but this one holds a charm and just like the like the ridiculousness of and I don't know what I was expecting from the moment you hear the killer's called the chipper that is a flare goes off a warning flare goes off that is like oh you're in for something special here Duncan sit down strap yourself in and be prepared to enjoy the rodeo twice for 10 minutes um and yeah as as acted horribly the music is amazing in this movie it's like so at times out of place the sound effects are horrible um the story doesn't really make that much sense it feels like an adult scooby-doo idea gone amok but it held my attention i got to the end of it and thought i want to watch it again and yeah, I, I, I don't, it is, it is a particular kind of bad that, and once again, I don't want to use the word endearing because it's not an endearing movie, it is a bad movie, but I kind of felt like I wanted to watch it again and I don't know why. Well, it's, it's first of all, the runtime helps. The fact that yeah. it's not an hour long. Yeah, had this movie been two hours long, that would not have been the feeling. Sure. And and the other thing I think that makes this movie more watchable than it ought to be is because of that one take stuff. You get these moments all throughout the film where clearly an actor is searching for a line or just winging it a little bit, um, particularly from Tim Foster. Um who, uh, when Daniel promises the next time he comes around, he's going to make the big biscuits he likes so much. <laughs> and they do this single shot of him that is clearly done, not just not at the same time, but God knows where and when the, this shot happened. But it's just him going, yeah, sounds great. Okay, all right. And it's like you're, you're, you're saying yes too many times. To a line that shouldn't exist in the first place, because who gives a shit about Daniel's biscuits? And you're delivering this in the most wooden, stilted way possible. And you're theoretically the co-writer of this movie, which I think just means he never bothered to learn any line, so he just made up his own. 
Yeah, it seems a bit like that. Yeah, because like he's the also the guy that when he he's they're talking about the ten thousand miles of of land that she has, and she's like, yeah, and I also know about the lake under here. And he's like, you know about that, huh? Well, forget about that. What about this <laughs> this corral? You can't put horses out here. It's like this is utter nonsense, but it's kind of beautiful in its like. Is it? It's nowhere near the quality of a Winter Beast because Winter Beast is way more ambitious and and Bloodshack isn't. You're like Bloodshack is trying to do this quick and dirty and get out. Um, but that being said, I think it does have those similar qualities of like, you know, one of the things I love so much about Winter Beast is the inappropriate number of times that they talk about this toaster that the old man is going to give away. Yeah. And it's that kind of stuff all through Bloodshack as well. Of uh, like, like you said, just shifting to voiceover narration for no reason. One assumes just because it was windy that day and they couldn't capture dialogue. <laughs> oh, the script wasn't written. I mean, yeah. there's a possibility that the script isn't written, so he just films stock footage of her walking around and stop. You know, puts in stock footage of the rodeo and he's like that. We can just record you speaking right after. Yeah, and like all the the actual exposition of this movie is done in that fashion of oh well Tim Foster it turns out Daniel told me that there's been a big rivalry between our families you know all that stuff is all done in voiceover but when you cut to the characters they never really talk about it again mm-hmm. it's oh, oh it's so good Duncan <laughs> the way, like the first time I saw this as a kid when they went to the rodeo we found that really funny yeah. But when they go back to the rodeo, that's the genius of Bloodshack. It's not like, hey, we need to pad this out, so let's go to the rodeo. It's like, oh, no, we still don't have enough movie. Well, how about they just go back to the rodeo again? Yeah, it's, it's, oh, that to oh. me is, that is the... There's a certain style of filmmaking, like certain filmmakers who just nothing phases them at all. They just constantly... You got to think, like... like and he's obviously of a much higher caliber of a director, but people like Roger Corman and things like that, that would just make things work. And when things come back, they would, you know, problem solvers, ultimately that's what it was. And they would use whatever was at hand to help them get the job done. And this guy certainly, I can imagine him not, not even given, you know, two like seconds thought as to how to pad this movie out. You know, as soon as they're like that, we can't accept this. This doesn't have a long enough runtime. The instant reaction from him is, well, more rodeo. You know what I mean? <laughs> I've got a fever. Yeah. <laughs> you know, i got to have more rodeo. Um, and that's, like, totally, that is that is exactly what this movie is. It is a movie made by someone, an opportunist, completely. This guy opportunistically makes a movie... You know, on the on the hoof, just goes out, does it, and then worries about it later on. Um, in fact, I don't even think he worried about it. He was just like, "That ah, we'll put it together and it'll go out. Um, I will find an avenue to release this movie." Uh, and yeah, it's 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 crazy. It really is a a, a crazy movie. Not because the subject matter is crazy, because it really isn't. Like when we talk about Scooby Doo, I think it certainly falls within that cusp of this. Feels like a a kind of who done it kind of spooky story mystery, um. So there's nothing as as the way in which the movies shot, acted, and put together that is the the thing that compels you to watch it. 
um, because it is done very much on the fly. It's shoehorned in. It's kind of the, the fact that you can easily tell that there was no option here for another take. So it was nail it right first time because whatever you do now is going in the movie. Um, the threat of that on the actors and actresses, you know, there's an urgency to the delivery. Uh, and if all else fails, we can pad it out with rodeo footage. And what you're left with is a weird, weird little movie that I had never heard of before. But yeah, it's now in my lexicon. It's now something I'm aware of. Um, and like I say, I probably will check it out again. I think that's the thing that's like where Winter when Winter Beast finished, I was like, oh my god, this is. This is a this is a find that must be shared with the world. I don't necessarily know if I'd go that far with Bloodshot, but I'll certainly watch it again. Yeah, it's <laughs> it. Like I said, Samurai Cop and Bloodshot is a great double feature because they're both examples of this is how movies should not be made, uh, whether for budgetary reasons or reasons of cynicism or whatever. But the the filmmakers fell ass backwards into creating incredibly entertaining movies. Yeah. Through no fault of their own. Um, all right. Well, let's, uh, let's do this. Let's hash this out. Um, I, you know, I, I will, I'll, I'll fire the first salvo here. Uh, mm-hmm. I think Samurai Cop is wonderful. Uh, there is a disturbing lack of rodeo. <laughs> like, I, all right, so here, here's what I come down to with these two movies. Samurai Cop operates most like a movie. It is, yes. it is not, it's not good. It makes a mistake at pretty much every level of decision making that happens in the film. Um, but at the end of the day, it is kind of, you know, a routine buddy cop, <laughs> like routine. That's not accurate. <laughs> It's it's a buddy cop movie that features a samurai, maybe, <laughs> uh, and and a gang that's trying to to knock him off. And I feel like not that we've seen that a bunch of times. I mean, although we have, like Samurai Cop is just so ridiculous. I think you're right. I think if this if Samurai Cop had come out in like 1986, you know, kind of close on the heels of of Lethal Weapon or something, which is it clearly is trying to be a lot. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, then I, I think that, you know, the music and, and the hair and the chins, uh, <laughs> like Samurai Cop is terrifically entertaining. Yeah. And and this may just be uh, the hometown favorite, but I kind of prefer Bloodjack. One, because it's 40 minutes shorter than Samurai Cop, <laughs> uh, which is not nothing in when you're talking about a terrible movie. Um, but I do, I love the fact that it just, it's not like you can see the seams, uh, showing on this movie. Like Samurai Cop, there's a lot of continuity problems and stuff in that, like you can tell that there's just problems in editing and scripting and all that stuff. Bloodshack, it's like, this is nothing but shredded paper. This is all, <laughs> this is all nonsense. Like this is barely a movie and yet, you know, as you said, when you finished it and like, I kind of need to watch that again. I had the same reaction when I watched blood check again for this show. And I hadn't seen it in probably 15 years. Mm-hmm. As soon as I finished, it, I was like, you know what? I forgot how much I love blood check. Um, <laughs> it is, it, it's completely ridiculous. It, but it is so entertaining. Like of the two movies, I'm thinking 
if I have some people over and we're having a couple of cocktails, what is the movie I want to throw on to watch? Um, and I, I don't know that you can go wrong with either of these choices, but I would probably go blood check first because to, at least for me, the problems in blood check are more hilarious and entertaining than the problems in Samurai Cop, although they are hilarious and entertaining there as well. Uh, right, so where I come in is that I think there's a lot of bells and whistles on Samurai Cop. Like, there's a lot going on in that movie. We're going to have lots of props and guns and samurai swords, and we're not going to use the samurai swords. And it, there's, a, there's a lot going on in that movie, and I believe that a lot of the continuity errors is the fact that they're trying to... It is a very ambitious movie. It's trying to do far too much instead of kind of focusing on what it needs to do to be a good movie. So it's like, this gang's going to be the biggest gang ever, and this samurai cop's going to be, like, he needs to look like an American bodybuilder, stroke surfer, um, and wear the most horrible swimming trunks ever. (laughs) Yeah, we did talk about the Speedos. Oh, my God. It is like fitted ladies' underwear. In fact, when he's on the beach with the woman, I kind of thought to myself, who has the most feminine swimming trunks right now and it's him he, he, he outdoes her um, I'm just jealous because I don't have a physique like that but according to the movie I do have a bigger cock so fuck you samurai cop um, yeah that, that bathing suit did nothing to disprove the nurse's accusation <laughs> the water was cold boy. the water was cold so it has all those things and all those things add to the reasons why it's so entertaining because there are so many things that go wrong and you know edits which you know after using something it doesn't make sense why this would be back to the way it was before and all the rest Bloodshot doesn't have that it doesn't have the bells and whistles it doesn't have a fraction of the budget that samurai cop has and basically it's almost like a guerrilla style of of kind of filming this is one take managed to cause as much disruption that we possibly can on camera and it, it, Let's you know, let's continue on. It's it's like a it's like a small terrorist cell in a movie. <laughs> it's and the Al Qaeda of horror films. It's the Al Qaeda of horror films. And as a result of that, there is absolutely no way I can argue against you. It is the movie of the week. By far. By quite a bit actually. <laughs> it's the the Al Qaeda of horror movies. It is just it's yeah, it's <laughs> It's an experience which is difficult to put over on a show. Um, And very much like we said about Blood Feast, um, which was that if you had an hour to spare, it's a movie you have to see and tick off your list. I would say exactly the same about Blood Shack. If you've less than an hour to spare, you're sitting down, I don't know, doing your tax returns or whatever you do in America, um, and you, you need something on just which is not going to distract you from what you're doing, but at the same time make you go, what the fuck? Um, it's Bloodshack, and Bloodshack is a winner, proving once again that when it comes to shitty movies, Bo, uh, you're better at picking them than I am. So. Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, as we have established already, you are the the winner of season two in terms of the quality films. Uh, but I can take a small comfort in the fact that when it comes to awful movies, I am two for two. Yeah, I, I don't like that. I don't like being... This is kind of how I think you feel with the, the main show. I don't like the fact that I've been bested twice on this. Yeah, I mean, I watch awful movies all the time. <laughs> and 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 ju- 
like genuinely delight in them. Bloodshack, I felt was a layup. Like I've seen Bloodshack uh, enough times when I was a kid uh, that I remembered it fondly, and then and then watching it again just to make sure, like, okay, is this my pick? Mm-hmm. And you know, fifty five minutes later, it's like, oh, not only is this my pick, this may be my new religion. Uh, <laughs> it's yeah, I, ah, uh, Bloodshack is so good. It's <laughs> it's. Like, both of these movies are wonderful. Like, I'm really glad that that you picked Samurai Cop because it was a movie I was aware of. But, having like, after watching it, it's like, oh, yeah, this is actually worse than I'd ever heard. But mm-hmm. in a good way. Um, But, yeah, Bloodshack is just, it's something special. They're, they go to the rodeo twice. That's all you need to know. And the voiceover for, like, it's just so incongruous with the rest of the movie. Mm-hmm. Not that any other part fits well with the other parts. And I just don't know that we've done enough to celebrate the character of Daniel and how shirtless he is for most of the film. And just one note that character is like, he is the caretaker who the only caretaking you ever see him do other than disposing of bodies is just stabbing the dirt with a pitchfork. (laughs) And I don't know what that does. I'm not a farmer, Duncan. Uh, I don't know if that's proper agrarian practice. Oh, but I don't think so. I don't. Yeah, I'm gonna go with no as well. <laughs> yeah. Um. So that's it. That that is officially the 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 wrapper on season two of Duncan and Bo Come Correct. Uh, what I feel has been a a powerhouse of a season. I think so as well. I think um, it was the season. I think we were always meant to make like i think like i said before i said on the last episode actually when we recorded season one i i genuinely felt that that season was just kind of testing testing the water kind of feeling out how things fit like when we first started we didn't have this the the kind of caveat of there has to be a theme or a genre for the movies. So, like, our first couple of episodes are just all over the place. <laughs> it's like us coming in with two completely different movies and completely different like, genres. Have you seen Close Encounters? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, like, just the strangest shit. And um, through time, we've refined that. And certainly, season two is focused exclusively on that. Um, the fact that we managed to bring in the wild card, which I'm, I'm, I can't wait to take over into the, the, the next season. Uh, although it resets, we both have one next season. You can't carry it over. So I don't get it. I don't get any don't points. For, yeah, I don't, I don't have that. Um, but I think what we did this season is really up the quality of the movies. And that's, once again, not to belittle season one. We cover some great movies in season one. But I think season two was really about, like the movies, it was almost like putting huge movies up against lesser-known movies, but the lesser-known movies were just, like, of such high standards that they could, you know, go toe-to-toe with, with powerhouses of cinema. And I think that's that, that's where I think we have really raised our game as an introducing, potentially, uh, 24 movies into your, your archive, your catalogue, your library of movies that you either need to go back and visit because you've not seen them in a while, or movies that you need to go and check out, and then at the end of it give you two movies which we're not saying rush out and see by any stretch of the imagination, but we're saying if you want to have a bit of fun, if you want to do a bit of drinking, um, 
and you just kind of want to have a laugh, then you shove these movies on as well. And, and it's a good way to finish off the season, and I cannot wait to come back with season three. Uh, who would have thought it, Bo? Who would have thought it that we would be discussing season three of Duncan and Bo come correct? And uh, I believe your vengeance will be will be unstoppable when we come to season three, because I know how badly you wanted to, to, to bring one back. Yeah, I'm... Like I said, the, the the small comfort I have, not just with the uh, incorrect stuff, is that I get to choose your trophy, and <laughs> it's it's more ridiculous than the trophy from season one, mm-hmm. easily, easily uh, more ridiculous, uh, <laughs> uh, effortlessly sillier uh, <laughs> as a trophy. Um, we are doing our community viewing of Winter Beast, though. Um, we're working out the dates of that once we have that date. Um, we will, uh, we will both broadcast it. It'll probably just be me throwing up, uh, something on this feed and also alert you via the social media. So, uh, if you want to come together and celebrate, uh, season two, uh, and its conclusion with us, we will, uh, we will have the dates shortly, uh, for us to sit down and watch, um, what is really the cornerstone of our, of both of our lives, I think. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we should really just change the name of the show to Winter Beast. Duncan and Bo come Winter Beast. That's that's. I think that's. I think that's fair. And the community show we had last year, I think there was like about ten people showed up, which is insane. Um. So, and I know some of them are want to come back again, which is even more insane. But I love you for it. And yeah. Let's see if we can get the the word out. If you want to, see, if you've heard us talk about Winter Beast all season, don't know what it is, don't know its importance, then the best way. To watch it is to watch it while me and Bo kind of sit in, in reverence and respect and at the same time giggle like school girls uh, <laughs> along to the movie. It's, 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 there's no finer moment in your life. <laughs> yeah. And that's couldn't get married, having kids, all the rest. Buying a house. They, they all pale in comparison to a community viewing of Duncan and Bo come Winter Beast. The first time you see the movie Winter Beast is, it, it is very much like a religious experience. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you will forever be changed. Yeah. Um, so, all right. Uh, Duncan, any any final thoughts before we, uh, we bid a fond adieu to season um, two? Just once again, thanks to everyone that checked out, supported, got in touch, gave us feedback on on season two of Duncan and Bo Come Correct. Followed us through the X Files episodes that we did, uh, and I don't know if you read that, Bo, but um, X Files has been greenlit for another season. <laughs> yeah, we're not doing another season of X Files. I and- think- feel like we have to though do you oh all right we'll talk about this. we're so far down the rabbit hole now that we kind of have to all right all right well it well, <laughs> what's the run because if it's like a 13 episode run I oh fuck that yeah it needs to be six episodes any more yeah. than that it can go and fuck itself and it's like, not happening next year either i think it's happening the year after so it will not impact on our uh, twin peaks yeah twin peaks is the next one we're going to do for yes, sure. i'm looking forward to that and that's going to be batshit crazy and all the ways that make me happy um that release list of about 260 odd actors that are signed up to do cameos is just insane um but yeah so i thanks to everyone for for kind of really supporting this show um and hopefully Hopefully you guys will enjoy the small absence that we're going to take for the next couple of months and gear yourself up for season three, which, um, yeah, will we'll hopefully raise the bar and the standard 
again, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. So I look forward to speaking to you all then. Yeah, and nothing but documentaries next season. Oh, that would make me... See if it was just... A, like, you know how much I like documentaries, so... Yeah, I'm in the same boat. And so, I mean, I, I feel like we're probably just going to include a second documentary episode every season. I like every that season. idea. Yeah, yeah I Because um, yeah. we, we both watch a, a ton of them. And, and, and man, yeah, that, that one-two of, uh, of Call Me Lucky and Best of Enemies. Oh, both still those movies have Yeah, still my favorite show we've done. And... Yeah, the feedback for that one was incredible as well. For yeah. People just who went out and checked them out or people that had seen them already. So, yeah, I think uh, there's, there are tons. I think also, um, like I said at the start of this episode, there is scope for maybe some one-offs um, that, that could be quite interesting uh, that we should maybe do, whether it's like picking a movie which is just a complete powerhouse of cinema and doing like a, a dedicated review to it. Um, or finding a movie, what could be quite fun is finding a movie of that stature that one of us really likes and the other one really doesn't like and kind of putting arguments forward and then maybe having like a like a listener vote on it. Yeah, um, that's a that, that's an interesting idea. Um, I think because there will be ones, there'll be crossover ones where we've found that I, I get quite nasty about certain directors and actors. So <laughs> I will not watch this movie because Robert Downey Jr. is in it. Yeah, that's... It. Not always wrong, no. by the way, because they're, I've seen The Judge. Um. <laughs> but yes, yeah, stuff like that. I think maybe some more kind of quirkier content might swing its way into season three. But first and foremost, it'll be myself and Mr. Bo Ransdell sitting down in, a, in the, 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 the gladiator's chamber as we, we both swing for the fences with cinematic glory. And in, in our in our in our vision and our our goal our mindset and um like like they say in Highlander both there can be only one. Yep, yep. Uh, in this season, my friend, you are the one. But uh, to quote Queen, I am immortal. <laughs> if I'm the one, does that make me Christopher Lambert? I don't know yeah. if I can that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, God, we, we listen too much. We hate movies. Uh, yes, it's uh, ever. <laughs> all right. Uh, I will echo what Duncan said. Thank you so much for listening. Um, we're looking forward to uh, to bringing you more in season three. And, uh, uh, you know, we're, we'll be gone for a little bit, but you got plenty of movies to watch uh, in the meantime. And when we come back, we're going to we're going to bring you more good stuff. And I'm going to win. <laughs> At least you said it with conviction this time. At the end of season one, it was kind of lackluster. So no, I'm not only am I going to win. You might walk away from season three missing a, a finger or two. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so everyone, thank you again so much for listening. We will be back in just a couple of months and keep your uh, your ear to the ground for our winter beast screening uh, for Duncan Lee. Oh, God, I cannot say your name today uh, for because uh, I hate it. Uh, I almost did my own Lambert there. I hate. Um, but uh, for Duck and McLeish and myself, uh, thank you, and we will see you uh, for season three. Bye. Bye. Jesus and the fiery
Drunk with me. God was drunk with me. God was drunk with me. God was drunk with me.